This podcast is for information purposes only and is not and should not be construed as professional advice or an offer or commitment by any Rubberbank group member to enter into a transaction. The views expressed by the presenter and or guests are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of Rubberbank. Please see the podcast description for our full disclaimer. Welcome to RoboTalk's Growing Our Future, where we talk to experts from both here in New Zealand and across the world to bring New Zealand farmers and growers the information they need to make informed strategic decisions about the future direction of their business to ensure they continue to thrive in a fast-changing world. The increasing focus and requirements around how farmers and growers need to manage the impact of their business on the environment and climate, as well as the impact of the environment and the climate on their business, have very long-term implications, with some of the effects that may not be felt in any meaningful way for over five years. Yet often when discussing how to plan for these topics, we focus on what is likely to happen in the coming one to two years, and the immediate actions required to address these short-term impacts. But how do you go about developing a plan to navigate the potentially much more significant long-term impacts and to take a strategic approach to ensure you have an enduring and successful business well into the future? I'm your host, Blake Holgate, and today I'm joined by Richard Green, who has an extensive knowledge and experience at developing just such strategic plans for a wide range of agricultural businesses. Richard is someone I've heard speak on several occasions and have always thought what a great guest he would make for the podcast, given the fantastic insights he has on this topic. So I'm very pleased to finally be able to sit down and have this discussion with him. Richard, welcome to RoboTalk's Growing Our Future podcast. Thanks, Blake. Looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, before we crack into it, I'm always like to um, give the guest the opportunity to tell us a, a bit about themselves and, and, and their career and, and some of their current roles. And, and I know discussing with you um, before the podcast, you said you're involved in numerous organizations. So maybe if you give the listeners a bit of an overview of, of what you're currently doing. Yeah, that's always quite a difficult question, but I'm still only a really young fellow, but I seem to have had a 30-year career when I look back on it. And the first 10 years were very much within the farm gate where I was actually a farm consultant around Otago and Southland and working with farmers and helping them optimise their performance and succession was a key element and obviously growing businesses and making more money, which I, I, it was a great period of my life. But I always wanted to employ consultants and not be a consultant. I wanted to run businesses. I've always been fascinated by business. So the next 10 years of my life was actually hands-on running business and we were in a startup seed company at the time that we joined, and I was sales and marketing manager, and I was also an investor in that company. And that company grew rapidly and went quite global. So that was a fascinating period in my life. And we also, my wife and I, were involved in retirement villages, buying and investing in retirement villages at the, at the same time and running them. And then the next, that was 10 years of my career, and the next 10 years after we sold our seed company has actually been investing. And it's been investing in other businesses, and it's also been in a, in a range of governance roles. And at any one point in time, I've probably got about 16 roles I'm involved in. So hence the reason I have trouble describing what I do. But some of the key things I'm involved in at the moment are I chair Headwaters, which is a, a breed of sheep and a, um, a farming system that delivers a product called Lumina Lamb, which has got high-end muscular fat, and we've partnered with Alliance and take that product to market, and we're growing rapidly at the moment. I'm also involved in governance on the joint venture High Health Alliance as part of that. I do things like um, a pool of water. I'm a director on an irrigation company called a pool of water. Cancer Society, I'm pretty 
heavily involved in Canterbury West Coast Cancer Society and also trying to pull together the whole South Island Cancer Societies in a merger. Uh, we've just completed a build of 50 apartments. And then I, I'm involved in six different large-scale farming businesses, all quite different, arable, dairy, sheep and beef, forestry. They're all family, large family businesses. And that's probably something that gives me a, a lot of satisfaction. And I've just recently stepped down off Agmart. I was a trustee on Agmart. I've been a director on FAR recently. Kellogg's and Nuffield. I've had quite a time with them over recent times. And so then a number of other investments I'm involved in, also our own um, honey business and also dairy farming business. Yeah, so as I said at the start, a broad range of organisations and, and experience and organisations that are some of them very renowned for having you know long-term or needing to have long-term thinking. You know, when you think about strategic thinking, what does that mean to you and why is it important to have that strategic lens when you're looking at building or or maybe maintaining a successful long-term business? To me, strategic planning is what can we win at? And it's what can we win at over a 10 to 15 year period? Because particularly biological businesses like farming, you know, you can't set a business up to win in the two or three years. You've got to have a long-term thought process or long-term vision. To me, strategic planning gives you a context to make decisions in. So how do you know where to invest capital? How do you know what skills you're looking for in your staff? How do you know what partners you're looking for to take your products to market? Unless you know where you're heading and what the future looks like. I think sometimes we overcomplicate what strategic planning is. I actually prefer to talk about it as almost what is our direction of travel? Because, you know, when you head out on a journey, you know where you're going. You know you're going to Invercargill, but you might not quite know which way you're going to go, but you know where you're going to probably end up. You can't be too prescriptive. And some of the things I think about when I think about direction of travel is I look at businesses and I say, what's our real strength as a business? And that's the people. It's our proximity to amenities. It's the type of farm it is in terms of is it a hard store breeding property or has it got finishing capability? What's the soils like? It's, it's understanding and all those things make up your strengths of your property and your people and your location. And then you've actually got to start looking at what's the real passion of the people and the expertise of the people that are driving this business. Because there's no point doing something that you think that makes economic sense if it doesn't spin your wheels and you can't, you know, you're not prepared to keep investing in that in the long term. And then I think the third thing is probably well, what drives profit. So what's our real strengths of our business, our location, our land and our people? What's the passion and the expertise of the people involved in this business and what then drives the economic engine of this business. And if you can get those three things sort of coming together, then you sort of know where you've got to focus. And, you know, I think often we, in most businesses, we try and focus on too many things and we don't get one or two things working really well. And generally my experience is most businesses have some core business that is the key to their whole business. And, you know, that may well be a, an integrated 
sheep and beef business, but the key to their business could be their lamb production, their meat production. And that's the thing that they've got to keep spinning that wheel. And they can't ever lose momentum and not reinvest in that key part of their business that drives their profit because everything else hangs around that. And so it's really important you identify what the real drivers to your current business are and you make sure you keep reinvesting in them and keep improving them. I'm keen to sort of unpack some of that and, and maybe delve into a bit more details around it because I think it's, you know, fantastic advice, you know, focusing on maybe less things but doing those things better and having more focus around it. Let's delve into it a little bit more and, and you know, I mentioned I've previously heard you talk and, and often you talk about confronting or dealing with those inconvenient truths or, or brutal facts and I think that's particularly relevant at the moment when we do consider some of the environmental or climate pressures and and changes that are coming where you know many farmers are growing and growers are, are dealing with uncertainty in that space but we'll have to deal with it in some way so we know it's coming but we don't know the exact form you know how do you go about dealing with those brutal facts or inconvenient truths when you don't have certainty Richard in every business I'm involved with and I and I do talk about this I think the the trendy conversation there is have the courageous conversations where I, you know, to me it's brutal facts. It's, and you've got to do it in a nice way. But as a consultant, I used to always like going in and actually working out what what the things that could tip a business over were. And to me, they were the brutal facts. And sometimes it's the expertise of the people involved in the business. Sometimes it's succession is going to blow them apart. And sometimes it's their farming practices, you know, and now perhaps environmentally they're not correct or they're not going the right direction. Sometimes it's externalities like climate change or regulation or something. But to me, if you don't talk about what those big risks are and actually get a plan, sometimes there's no answers in the short term, but you have to have confidence. And this, I think this is part of what I've learned is, you have to believe that you will find a way. You might not find it tomorrow, but there is a way. There is always a way to find how you can turn a negative, not necessarily into positive, but how you can make it less of a factor in your business. So take, for example, at the moment, you know, one of the things that I think is a brutal fact at the moment is, well, there's two things probably. Our farming businesses, it's very hard to drive cost out of our farming businesses. We've got fixed costs, whether it's through regulation and um, just the extra staff costs that we need in our businesses now. We can't run low-cost businesses. It was very difficult to, unless you've got an exceptional property, and I am involved with one on Banks Peninsula that can run a low-cost business, but most businesses can't. So to me, that's one brutal fact that gone are the days where we just in our commodity businesses, just shut everything down when we have low prices. And the other brutal fact I know is environmental footprints. We're going to have to, there's a sinking lid. You know, you can argue about the time frame, but over the next X number of years, we're going to have to reduce our emissions off our property, whether that's gases or losses, phosphates and nitrates particularly. The technology is going to help with that over time. But the ways we've always grown our businesses in the past, and my 30-year career, my model and most farmers' models has been to intensify. That's the way they've grown their businesses. We've 
sown better grasses, we've put more fertility on, we've developed more country, we've run more stock. Well, the brutal fact to me at the moment is we can't do that. And so we have to keep growing our businesses, and this is part of strategic planning, or with only direction, we have to keep growing our businesses. So how are we going to do it? And to me, what it actually brings me back to is I think the next decade, and that's what I'm now devoting a lot of time to, is how do we extract more value from the marketplace? And it's easy to say, it's bloody hard to do, but it's critical that we actually work out how we do that. And I know our honey business at the moment, that's what our whole focus the last three or four years have been because if you just think you're going to be a honey, produce honey, and every year be able to make a profit as a beekeeper, well, you're dreaming. And so we've got to find markets, we've got to find partners, we've got to find innovation where we can actually use honey as our key product, but we can actually go up the value chain. And, you know, there's areas that we're staying to win in that space, but it's not easy. And that's exactly what we're doing with our lamb, with our headwaters and lumina lamb as well. It's how do we run a different farming system and how do we find customers that will pay for our a unique product, our unique farming system, and the brand and the integrity that we're wrapping around that brand. So I think working out what the brutal facts are actually help you work out where your strategic direction is. Yeah, and it sounds like it's important, you know, how you define those brutal facts in the context of strategic planning is really important, right? Because I suppose you could look at it through the lens of, oh, you know, the brutal facts is I'm going to have to fence off my waterways or I'm going to have to um, adhere to some nitrogen application limit, but they're not really the, the brutal facts, are they? Because, you know, as you alluded to, the brutal fact is over time, you're going to have to reduce your environmental footprint, you know, whether you like or agree with the, the nature and form of, of that over time, that, that is the brutal fact, rather than that kind of short-term thinking around, I, I just need to, to meet those short-term requirements that I've got. And I guess that, and I probably didn't explain that well enough, but the other part of this is, you know, in New Zealand, we've done exceptionally well out of commodities. And you know, and sometimes we still will in the future. We won't be ever completely out of commodities, but commodities work really well when you're the lowest cost producer. And that's why so many people are so pushing back at the moment on regulations, whether it's government regulations or now it's um, FMCG companies forcing us to reduce scope three emissions because we instantly know that the costs are going to go up in our business and that's going to kill our previous commodity model was going to take the gloss off it and the profit out of it. So that's why there's so much pushback. But we've, I guess what my mindset goes to is, yes, that's all happening. We can see that playing out, but I don't think we're going to win. And you have to win in business. You're not there to fight, you're there to win. And so to me, we've got to find a different way. And as a farmer, you know, it's very daunting. But all I'm saying to farmers is, who are you going to partner with? Because who you choose to partner with to take you for the next 10 years is really important. And just because you've had a partner to date that's taken you the last 10 years doesn't mean that they should be your partner of the future. Who shares your values and your vision for where you see getting more value out of products from your farm gate? And whether that's Silver Firm Farms with their zero carbon, whether that's a um, Southern Pastures with their 10-point plan, and whether that's First Light Foods or whether it's Coastal Lamb or whether it's Headwaters or or whether it's two or three of them. I mean, I think that's a real critical decision that farmers have to make at the moment. 
So really aligning their team to that strategic plan and that team I'm presuming, yep, so that can be supplies, but also presumably advisors that you're surrounding yourself as well. Yeah, I guess I was an advisor. So, and I use a lot of advisors in our various businesses. And But I often say to people, no point just employing an advisor or advisory team. An advisory team works best when they know the context or they know the goals. They know what you as the business owner or the or the board of directors, they know exactly what success looks like for you as a business. And all they're involved in helping you work that out. You know, if they just come in and give advice around without the context, it often can be the wrong advice or you just waste a lot of years or time. So I think people that come in and challenge your business, and that doesn't have to be formal. I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer, even though I'm involved in a lot of governance, it doesn't have to be always formal governance. Informal governance is just as effective if you, as the CEO or the owner of the business, listen, use as a sounding board and adapt and change based on that informal or formal advice you're getting, then that's pretty powerful. Now, you've mentioned the word profitability a few times. You know, what role should profitability play in your your strategic planning? How, How important is it? Yeah, you know what? Profits are pretty important. <laughs> As Peter Alexandra used to say, it's not everything, but it's pretty close second to oxygen. I'm always driven by profit and not just once every two or three years, but every year. How do we drive profit? But but in saying that, so we have to have parts of our business that are absolutely cash cows and they drive profit. But we might have other parts of the business where actually we're investing for the long term. And I know with um, some of our business units that there's some good businesses that drive profit every year, but there's other businesses you can invest in. I'm thinking something like our honey business, where we've put quite a lot of money into developing international markets, where we've got getting closer to the consumer. So we're not making money. So it's not profitable as a business, but long-term, that's the right thing to do. And we will be far more profitable. So you have to know, if you're not making profit in the short term, you've got to absolutely believe that your investments are right to take you. You're going to make super profits in the future. So you have to see profit somewhere and it can't be too far away because you have to fund it. And I think, Blake, just on that, that's something that's farm as we also, you know, it's part of strategy. I think we get a bit hung up about ownership and 100% ownership as farmers. And I've been involved I had an ad up the other day, but it's in 16 equity partnerships as an investor. And 15 of them have been successful. One of The one that wasn't was actually in a arrest home, and it was just the people were wrong, and we didn't share the same goal, but we fixed that. Just a bit painful at the time. But people alignment's really important. But sometimes um, using other people's capital to come in and help you realise your vision, that's not a bad thing. Or leasing land, you know, not having to own, so you can scale. You know, capital is often our biggest limitation, and we have to be a lot smarter about how we use capital in our business, and not be scared of that, but make sure that we know, get the right people around us when we do invest, so that they actually share our vision, and we probably know how we're going to exit at some point, and everyone's going to get out of that what they want. Building on that, how important is growth to a business? plan and and you know how do you define growth because as you've just alluded to that that might take different forms or might look 
differently to different people. But I suppose in, in this context, how important is, is growth when you're thinking about that five to 10 year planning horizon? Yeah. And, you know, everyone's different. It comes down to your personal goals. I guess my experience is <laughs> the bigger your business gets, A, the easier it is to run because you can get the right people in, in the right places and you can pay them the right amount of money. So the quality of talent can be better in a bigger business. Can be, not always. But I've always found they're easier to run because you've got less generalists and more specialists. But you've also got, well, as long as you're profitable, and that's a given, you've got to be profitable, but you've got more shock absorbers, more resilience to those tough times that come along because they do come along. So I've always been driven by growing businesses. And I know we were invested in the retirement village industry for 25 years and back in the early 90s when we started, our wage costs used to be 40% of our gross income. When we exited a couple of years ago, our wage cost was 70% of our income. And I think that's what happens to businesses over time. And that was compliance, it was stakeholders' expectation, it was health and safety reasons. So we had to keep growing to be able to get a return out of that business. We had to grow. So I, I take that same mindset to every other business I'm involved in. And so I think growth growth is very important. And particularly if you success is succession, if you want succession and you want it to be as fair for all the family as possible, you have to be profitable and over the long term. And often that means you've got to keep growing your business. What role can diversification play in growth? Richard, because it may get challenging to just increase the scale of the existing operation that you've got for various barriers. You know, is there the opportunity to look at diversification as one channel for growing a business? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I mean, again, it comes down to your skills as an operator. Some people, the more balls they've got in the air, the less they do, you know, poorly on all balls, or they, they drop a few. Now, in the last five years, I can see that diversification is even more important than it was. The monocultures that we used to have, you know, whether it's from a disease risk or or just markets, risks, I think diversity is really important in our businesses. And I think technology is actually helping us now with sensor technology and even to the degree of drone technology. We can actually run more complicated businesses now than we ever used to be. So I think that really helps. It actually helps over the long term, have more consistent profit as long as you can manage that diversity, that spread of risk or the spread of enterprise. And I think the other brutal fact we didn't talk about before but is our changing climate. And um, you know, that probably means that the more balls we've got in the air, the better we can handle the variability in the seasons. And I also have been a big fan also of how we farmers have off-farm investments, you know, outside the farm gate, generally passive investments. And I've seen very successful commercial property investments that farmers use their balance sheet and leverage against. Just the consistency of cash flow and how that helps you then reinvest back in your farm all the time to keep growing your core business and also helps with succession, obviously. So I think I think our business is going to get more complicated, Blake, not simpler. More complicated from enterprises, but hopefully we can use technology and good people to make them simpler to run. Yeah, so with that in mind, how important is the investment in people, whether it's yourself, your staff, your family? Presumably, that's only going to become more important to make sure they've got the right 
skill sets to be able to successfully run those enterprises. Yeah, no, absolutely. Probably we're only just waking up to some of the, you know, the importance to reinvest in. And it's got to start with ourselves. You know, if we don't invest in ourselves as business owners, then we actually can't get our head right and actually work out what the opportunities are and, and be honest about what our strengths and weaknesses are and, you know, who we need to surround ourselves with in terms of to capitalise on those uh, strengths and perhaps overcome our weaknesses. And then it's actually investing in, in our people. And, you know, we all talk about people's everything in our business, and it is, but you've got to sharpen the saw. And it's actually often doing things as teams, not just as individuals, even though individual training is important. It's actually team training and getting that team working really well together. Um, we all know that in sport, but when it comes to doing it with our own teams, we often are too busy focused on the day-to-day and we don't actually invest enough. I've been really fortunate over my career. Originally, when I started in math and the government invested in me, considerably actually over a number of years, and, and that became a bit of a habit, investing in personal development. So I've actually carried that on myself, domestically and internationally. And I've always, because I think in numbers, I always go back and rationalise an investment in personal development. And I always tell people it's got a, a 10x. So if I invest 10 grand, I'll get over 100 grand return out of that development, personal development. Now, it might not be in one year. might be, And often the best benefit you get can be five years later, whether it's the networks you made or just the way of thinking. But, yeah, we've got to upskill ourselves and we haven't done that well in the ag sector. We're starting now. You can see demand for Kellogg's is, is huge and all the other organisations in New Zealand. And, but I think that will really step up. You know, I think the real challenge is we have often in the farm businesses seen ourselves as farm managers. And how do we see ourselves as a CEO of our business? And there is a difference. A CEO can be thinking they're not just operationally, they're actually living in the future and they're trying to do that strategic planning. And often that strategic planning, they can make $500 plus an hour out of doing that. Where often in farming, we come back to filling the holes that someone else could do, which is $30 or $40 an hour work. So it's forcing ourselves to be the CEO of our business rather than the manager. And I think that's what training often helps. And it gives the confidence and sharpens your skills so you can do that as well. So given the wider sort of domestic and, and global environment in which, you know, New Zealand farmers and growers are, are operating, how well positioned do you think New Zealand farming businesses are generally to succeed if they do take that mindset, Richard? You know, think more like a CEO, thinking more strategically, get those parts right. You know, how optimistic are you for the future success of New Zealand agricultural businesses? Like I'm extremely optimistic for New Zealand. I mean, it was interesting last week, listening to someone talk about the impact of climate change globally. And the three countries that are going to be least affected by climate change, even though it will still be significantly affected, one's New Zealand, one's Ireland, and which you'd expect, but the other surprised me, which is Argentina. And Argentina, because of the quality of their soils, but also some of their um, water out of the Andes, particularly in the north. But if you look globally, the supply-demand economics, well, demand is really strong for um, animal protein globally, subject to the odd um, conflict and all the rest of it. And, but the people we've got to feed globally, 
will still want to eat our product. And supply is going to be really constrained around the world. So, no, I'm very, very positive. But I also know we're going to have to reinvest significantly more back in our businesses than we ever have before. And that's environmental plantings. It's probably giving some land back to wetlands and it's planting a lot more trees and there's an opportunity for carbon out of that. Uh, We're going to have to have a lighter footprint over time. So there's going to be some of our cost structures are going to go up as well. So we do need better returns. But I also believe that we've got, even though we're going to probably get better commodity returns over the next 10 years, the real opportunity for us is how do we create more value within our value chains? That's right from farm right to our consumers. And I think that's going to involve even a different way of going to market than we have before. So there's a lot of change coming. And as CEO of the business, I think you'll see that positively because you're actually looking at all the drivers. But sometimes when you're manager of the business and all you can see is all these people telling you what to do, it can be really confronting. So a lot of it's about how do you get up in your helicopter to actually see what the new world could look like and how the new world isn't actually terrifying. It's actually quite exciting. It's different and You've got, you're going to get a lot closer to your consumer. But if they want your products, they're also going to pay you more. And that's the world I see over the next 10 years. So we've got to rapidly get through the grief cycle and actually get to work out where the opportunities are, Blake. And in terms of the practicality, how, how do you make that transition from, you know, you're the operator of the business, you're dealing with, you know, short-term pressures and, and challenges that, you know, for many at the moment probably feel constant, right? You sort of bang, bang, bang. How do you go, oh, actually, no, I'm going to take that helicopter view. You know, what any, any sort of practical advice around a, a process or pathway to get there, Richard? Yeah, that's probably the nub of it, isn't it? <laughs> if you look at the people, the businesses I've deal, dealt with, deal with, and they might be a bit wired a bit differently, so it might be unfair to use this as generalisation, but they're generally in expansion mode. And through expansion mode, they can take themselves out of being operational as much, even though that's sometimes what they enjoy. They realise the business is never going to succeed over the next 10 years if they're just out there sitting on the tractor and in the yards. So that's one way, is growing your business and getting the right people around you. I guess another way is potentially getting a few mentors on board that hold you to account because it's easy for people to slip back to what they do well. There'll be a few people that aren't up for this, and that's fine. This, I think there's still, although it's risky, producing commodities will have its great years and its terrible years, and just albeit the risk of having higher cost structures. But there is a world that everyone can still produce in but I don't know if that world's going to have the profit or the profitability of the world where you actually create more value and take that value to consumers. Exactly. And as you've said a few times, Richard, it's supposed to be your own personal goals and, and ambitions and situations that you're in as well. And, and they'll be as wide and varied as anything. Any other key tips or, or takeaways or messages for New Zealand um, farmers or growers before you wrap up? Yeah, well, <laughs> it's easy. I've got lots of advice. And a lot of it I've learned out of being involved myself, hands-on, but I think it's that, and I did mention it, it's not being afraid of the future. Even though there's some brutal facts we've got to face, on the other side, there's actually some really good things because, you know, we're facing lots of challenges here, and we, well, we feel like we are, and we are through regulation and 
what our customers are telling us and social license. But we've actually got some real tailwinds that are coming and technology is going to deliver us solutions. I think that's, you know, that's really exciting. Now, some of them will just be noise, but we've got to work out how to plug them into our farm systems as opposed to just, you know, be a, a widget that looks good. It's got to actually work for our farm systems and that's starting to happen. And I think we're also, as I mentioned earlier, if you're ever going to be farming Positioned anywhere in the world, New Zealand is the right spot to be positioned when you look at climate change and and even some of the geopolitical issues globally. And then also our brand, the halo we've got around New Zealand from our brand perspective. So, you know, and also we've got abundant water in New Zealand. And I think that's really, because it's hard to go up the value chain if you haven't got more control. And water and irrigation gives us that, particularly here in Canterbury. We've just got to do a better job of, constantly reducing our environmental footprint from that water. So there's a lots of good things. This area, New Zealand, that we farm in, there's nowhere better in the world I'd rather farm. So I think that's something that, that's going to stand us in really good stead the next 10 years. When we kicked this podcast off and asked you what strategic thinking is, you, you said it's around you know the context in which to make decisions. So I mean, I think you, you combine what you've just outlaid, the context of, of how well positioned New Zealand farming is to capitalise on, on opportunities. And yep, we have to front up and deal with those brutal or inconvenient truths, but do that through that strategic lens. And, and actually, there is massive opportunities to develop some robust, enduring, successful businesses going forward. Perhaps for some listeners, it's sort of making that transition from you know less of the operational, short-term tactical thinking and, and more of that long-term strategic thinking around how, how to best position their business going forward. I think you've summed that up well, Blake. I, I used to be really fortunate that I used to, um, well, we're fortunate, I actually didn't enjoy it much at the time, but I used to travel the world a lot, particularly in our, our seed business days. And I used to love getting on a flight, a 12-hour flight, and I'd spend the whole 12 hours filling a book with goal-setting, brutal facts, uh, tailwinds, all these sort of things, and, I'd, and I still do it today. I mean, I love nothing more than actually getting a plan in my head and putting it on a bit of paper. And I'd encourage people, that's the first thing they should start doing. Just start writing things down. Get it out of the head and all the things that go round and round, particularly in the middle of the night, about the concerns, and then you do think of some positives. Get a plan. And then actually work out, how are you going to put that plan in place? Because sometimes when you feel, you know, you've been, I don't know, it's a good analogy, you're out on the yacht, out sailing and you're getting blown away by, around by the wind, you've actually got to take control and you've got to chart your own course. And it's when you start doing that, you actually feel more in control. And it's amazing when you feel you're in control and you get a bit more confidence and your head goes up, it's amazing how many other things start going right as well. So I think that's part of it. Sometimes strategic planning isn't a big flash thing. It's just saying, bugger it, I'm actually going to take control of my business and I'm going to go this way. And then things start coming in behind you and the wind starts blowing into your sail and then you start fine-tuning as you go. So I guess that's just start. Just don't get blown around by everyone else telling you what to do. Start working out what you're going to do and how you're going to run and control your business. 
bugger it, just start. I think that's probably a, a great way to wrap it up and, and maybe that sort of uh, practical, tangible advice we were looking for, Richard. So look, thank you very much. Um, as always, I've you know, really enjoyed the, the conversation. I think there's some real nuggets in there. So yeah, I appreciate the, the conversation and look forward to uh, hearing you next time. Thanks, Blake. Thank you for listening to Robotalk's Growing Our Future podcast. If you're interested in learning more about how Rubberbank can support you to succeed in the future, please go to rubberbank.co.nz.